This week on the Faculty Factory Podcast. And introverts actually make very good public speakers because we're able to turn it on and off. Hi, everybody. You're on the Faculty Factory Podcast, and this is Kim Skorupski, and we have the amazing Dr. Donna Vogel back. Today, she's going to be talking about turbocharge your presenting. And she comes to us from lots of experience at the NIH, 25 years, in fact. And for eight years, she was the head of our professional development careers office. So welcome back, Dr. Donna Vogel. Thank you very much. It is great to be back. And I love talking about presentation skills because I happen to love presenting. And that may be a little counterintuitive because as you Kim, no, and many of your listeners know by now, I'm a raging introvert. <laughs> raging? But I've never heard of introverts ra- I'm a raging, raging <laughs> introvert. And introverts actually make very good public speakers because we're able to turn it on and off. And that's a whole other discussion. I could literally talk for four or six hours about presentation skills, and I have done it on many occasions. But I'm not going to do that now. I'm going to talk for about 10 minutes, and I've pulled out just a few highlights of some of the things that will really help you to make your presentations more enjoyable for the listener, mm-hmm more confidence building for yourself, Mm -hmm. and overall more more effective. And this is going to pertain to both the scientific research talk, which is typical for university faculty and faculty who are going to either seminars in their own institution or speaking at another institution or perhaps at a meeting. So you're typical research talk, but also advocacy talks, because we as scientists and healthcare professionals are being tasked more and more with getting a message across to people who are, from our point of view, lay people, but are professionals in their own disciplines outside of biomedical science and healthcare. Mm-hmm. So, research or advocacy your talk has to begin with one point, one main point. Never lose sight of that. For a scientific talk, it is your research question. For an advocacy talk, it is your message. Once you start to veer away from your one main point, you immediately start to dilute your effectiveness and the attention of your audience will start to wander. So write that thing down, put it on a sticky note on your wall, make it your screensaver, but have it in front of yourself all the time as you prepare, Mm -hmm. which leads me to the next point, which is prepare. (laughs) Nothing is less effective than a talk that is not prepared well in advance. You have to plan, you have to invest time into breaking it down into the parts, thinking about what the parts are there for, and how you will organize the content of the talk. It is not just getting up and telling people your data. You've got to put that time in. There's nothing more valuable than investing the time in planning and organizing your talk. And 
a rubric that I find useful regardless of the length of time you have is to spend roughly 10% of your time on the introduction, roughly 10% of your time on the conclusion, Mm. and then the remaining 80% in the middle is the guts of the talk, Mm. the methodology and the results and discussion. Mm -hmm. And one of the key points that will go into that planning is to just step back for a second and ask yourself, why are you giving this talk? Because you have a purpose of your own here. There's something you want to accomplish. And you've got to engage your audience to allow you to do that thing. So think about, is it a job talk? Is it an invited lecture? Ooh, best of all, wouldn't that be nice? Is it a, a seminar within your own department? Is it just related to getting feedback on your work from your immediate work group? So there's a purpose here. There's a reason why you're doing it, and that will help guide you in the organization. Always, always, always give an introduction. One of the worst things you can do is to leave out the introduction because you're trying to save time. That's a terrible mistake. Because if you don't introduce what you're about to say, you're going to lose your audience immediately. They need to know, you know, because you just thought about it while you're giving the talk, but they need to know why they're there. Why is it important? And what needs to be done? It's very equivalent to the importance or the significance or the rationale in a grant application. Mm -hmm. You have to convince your audience that you're about to tell them something that's necessary, something that's important, something that needs to be done. And that's a big part of your introduction. Putting a a question out there, like making making the audience... A, a hook to think think about like I'd like mm-hmm. you to think about or I'm you know po- post something I'd like you to help me think about or mm-hmm. this is really puzzling to me and I'd uh, be look forward to your your feedback on this like actually invite and challenge people to start thinking mm-hmm. versus just blah 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 yeah and that's a great point because it actually engages a different mental process mm. by making your audience think then they are engaging in by just sitting back and being the passive recipient of a message that you're putting out. So you're getting them to participate with you, and that is a great way to engage an audience. In fact, I often use rhetorical questions Mm -hmm. in talks and lectures where I don't even expect them to give me an answer. You know, sometimes I'll ask a question and I'll expect them to give me an answer, like, how many of you are postdocs? How many of you, the kind of questions that you just want to get them used to the idea of raising their hand. But I will often ask a rhetorical question, like, why would you want to know where the doors are? Well, I don't expect an answer to that question, but it gets them in that mental process of being thinking about it mm-hmm. instead of receiving. Oh, yeah. yeah, great. Oh, and you want to know why you need to know where the doors are? Why? Fire it. Because if you're the speaker, if you're the speaker, you need to be aware that busy scientists and busy clinicians are going to be coming in and out. Not everybody is going to be sitting in their seat for 45 minutes paying rapt attention. Mm -hmm. And once you know where the doors are and you have that mental image of people coming in and out, 
you've desensitized yourself to it and it won't shake you up. Wow. Look at you. I never even thought about it that way. Yeah. You <laughs> come to the six-hour version. You'll hear it all. Okay. This, this one is probably one of the most important things I can tell you. Okay. You will have assembled a whole lot of things you want to say, but you have a limited amount of time. You are going to have more stuff right. than you have time to say it in. Never, never, never try to squeeze it in. Mm. Limit what you have to say, as brutal as that may be. It's one of the very hardest things on earth when you're yeah. giving a presentation is to take something out that you think is important. Mm. But you have to. You absolutely must. You cannot have more slides. You cannot have more data. You cannot have more evidence for a point you're trying to make than you have time to make it. Mm. So always remember, there will be other talks. You don't have to get everything into this talk. Mm. But if you try to squeeze too much in, you run a serious risk. And that is, can you guess? running out of time without saying everything. Yeah. Or or similar, slightly different, but in the similar vein, realizing that your time is very short and you go through the last yeah. quarter or so of your material too fast. Exactly. Well that's what and I was that's gonna... an yeah, and it gonna... sends a message, right? It sends a message to your audience that it's less important. Yeah, and you, and it says that you're not prepared. I mean, nothing is mm -hmm. more of a groaner than someone says, well, I'll get to that later. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you just got done spending you know, six minutes on this one slide saying, and I'll tell you more about it later. I'm like, oh, my gosh, don't tell me any more about it. We've already spent too much time on it. <laughs> And then they just go and like you said, oh, we don't have time. We don't have time. And you could see the person up front at a professional conference, you know, is giving them the, the sign of whatever the number of minutes left. And mm -hmm. then you see them be like me, like, I'll talk even faster then. And then you're just like out of control. Like you've gone rogue because now you're talking 100 miles an hour. You're flipping through mm -hmm. slides. And I guess you're what you're saying is you want to leave them wanting more versus just inundating and just throwing mm -hmm. the whole kitchen sink at them. Is that what you're trying to say? That's part? a big part of it. That's a, that's a big part of it. You don't want to just be this fire hose at the end, <laughs> gushing information, but it also sends the erroneous message that the stuff that you're skipping or saying too fast yeah. is not important yeah. because everything that you decided to leave in was important. You agonized over it. You had to take stuff out. Mm -hmm. So the stuff that's left in is really important yeah. and you don't want to have to go too fast. Yeah. However, there is a way out. What? Have you been in a situation at a talk where you, you finish the talk, everybody applauds, and the questions begin, and somebody asks a question, and the speaker says, you know, I just happen to have a slide on that. Oh, yeah. Bingo. Right? And they look, they look like a genius. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How do you do that? Uh -huh. Because... It's a plant. It was a plant. It's because it was that thing that was almost important enough to leave in, but you had to take it out. That's right. Because if it's that important to your story, somebody's going to ask you a question about it. Yeah. So bring that slide. Have it at the end of your PowerPoint. Sure. And then when somebody asks that question, you will pull up that slide and you will look like a genius. Boom. Boom. And, and also, what a little teaser to say, 
at the end. And I have so much more to talk about. And uh, we didn't have time today, but boy, wait till, you know, let's talk about, if you're interested, let's get together and talk about A and B and C because there's so much more. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on something. Mm. Now you've got Mm. people probably running up and saying, what is that you talked about? What was, where are you going with that? So that's probably, you know, a really good strategy. and, And I would be my, when I first started off, my preference is the fire hose. I am the person who just like, mm-hmm. just given more, 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 more and thinking the more words I put out there, somebody's going to like one or two of them. So <laughs> your, your strategy is a lot more, you know, a lot more strategic I, and a lot more thoughtful than my, my normal style would be just like you said, I'm going to just keep talking and then <laughs> like to be just as surprised by what comes out of my mouth as everyone else. There you go. And that brings us to the final point of this snippet, which appropriately enough deals with the conclusion. The conclusion of a talk is probably the most misunderstood and badly practiced part. There are many bad ways to to give a conclusion, and there is exactly one good way. Okay, this, the conclusion is not a restatement of your results. It is not a summary of everything you just said. The conclusion is the answer to your question. Because remember, you started with a research question. Right. Or let's say you started even with a hypothesis. Okay. It is, do the data support the hypothesis or not? Yeah. What's the answer? And if it's an advocacy talk, it is how your evidence should have convinced them that your message is credible, uh-huh. that your message is valid. Wow. So that's the conclusion. The mm-hmm. conclusion is how your data or how your evidence answered the question mm. or support the findings. There you go. Allow me to highlight some of the um, critical points in this snippet. Turbocharge your presenting. One main point for our research, we want to state the research question or the research hypothesis. If we're doing an advocacy talk, we want to say, what is the message? State the message. You talked about prepare, 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 plan, and organize. You suggested that 10% of our time should be spent on the intro and 10% on conclusion, and then 80% covers the middle ground. You want to reflect on why am I giving this talk? What do I want to say or do? Or what do I want to happen? And then crafting the message around that, that, you know, that sole point. You also said always give, um, an an introduction, ask rhetorical questions, lay the la- uh, the framework and the groundwork. You also said never try to squeeze everything in. Don't fire hose them. You also said give a great conclusion and the conclusion is not restating or summarizing. It's p- maybe putting that, that research question or hypothesis back up on the screen and saying, and here's my answer. This is what the data show. Or for an advocacy talk, here is the evidence that makes sure that my message is valid. Is there anything else I forgot in that great snippet? That pretty much says it. There was one 
thing I wanted to add, and it has to do with that difficult job of deciding what to leave in and what to take out. If you're having a hard time deciding what to take out, what to leave in, here's a question you can ask yourself. Does this support my message? And if it's peripheral to your message, take it out. I know. It's so hard. Yeah. Does this support my message? All right. Okay, friends, this has been Dr. Donna Vogel, and you can contact her at drdonnavogel at gmail.com. That's D-R period Donna period Vogel, V-O-G-E-L at gmail.com. She's on LinkedIn. She can help you with career development and skill building. And until the next time, join us back here on the Faculty Factory podcast. Thank you, Dr. Vogel, for this snippet. It's been great. A pleasure as always. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.